Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the debut of another brand new series we're launching today, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio. I have to do a shout out to Becky Weber and Lindsay Nelson at SAP for putting this together and bringing us a fabulous debut episode. We're going to be talking about the future of work 2015. That's right now and beyond and beyond is just a second away. So let's go to our usual opening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. The buzz today is how we work. And most of us are working, thank goodness. Here we go. The future of work is already here right now, with all industries experiencing a major disruption in the traditional ways people work. And perhaps even more important and impactful, what employees want out of their work. It's not what it used to be. Some trends we're seeing right now probably will continue, and others may, whoo, just move away and be pushed aside by as yet unknown work styles and worker demand. What does it all mean? That's what we're trying to figure out. A lot of things to consider. Let's let's look at this. Will employers continue to focus on and care about employee engagement? That's a tough question. There's some spoofs on that going around. Somebody sent me a spoof article about do employers even ever care? Well, we certainly hope so. Another question on the table. Will businesses accelerate their efforts to build what we're calling a connected office space? I think a lot of them already are. And maybe this is the most fascinating of all. Where do robots Software and analytics fit into the big picture. Okay, we have assembled a panel of experts for you, and I'm pleased to welcome a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Kevin Wheeler. He's a futurist and a consultant in talent management, and Kevin sent me a quote from Dave Snowden. Dave, by the way, is founder and chief scientific officer of Cognitive Edge. You can look it up on Wikipedia and see more. Here's the quote. See and manage the large pattern. Absorb uncertainty. Don't try to eliminate it. Kevin Wheeler, welcome. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. How are you? Well, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Very excited to have you on the panel. So, Kevin, tell me how you came to pick this quote from Dave Snowden and what does it all mean? Okay, well, as a futurist and, you, you, and you're trying to uh, see what might happen in the future, uh, there is no crystal ball. Uh, I'm not a fortune teller. What you really have to do is look at the patterns and the trends that are that are occurring out there. And we see things every day that are going on around us. We see Google automatic cars. We hear about a robotic vacuum cleaner or we buy one. Um, we see uh, the, the job market changing. We see all these things happening, but it's, it's really hard to see what the pattern is. Well, what does this all mean as you put this together? Uh, and, and that's really what I do as a futurist, is try to put those patterns together, those nodes that make up a pattern, and, and come out with some ideas or probabilities about what the future might look like. And so it's, it's not about just saying, gee, I really don't know. It's, it's not about uh, being uncertain. It's about saying, this is probably what's going to happen. This is likely to happen. This is less likely to happen. And so it's, it's really about the second part of Dave's quote here, which is absorb uncertainty, 
Don't try to eliminate it. So I think it's really important for us to try to connect the dots, look at various things that go on, put them together, try to make sense out of it, uh, and then try to move forward in that way. And that's why I love this quote. Well, I love it, too. And, and Kevin, I have a question for you that I will pose to our other panelists, who I will introduce in just a minute. When we talk about future of work and this disruption in how people work, are we focusing on a generational challenge here? Are we focusing on the incoming younger generations, the the millennials, the, the ones following the demographic wave or cohort, as they call it, following the millennials? Or are we talking about across the entire generational spread, which I understand now has five generations of workers working sometimes side by side? What do you observe? It's, it's across the entire spectrum. I mean, work is fundamentally changing, and it, it's it's just becoming um, something entirely different than it was. We're, we really have moved very dramatically, uh, a step change from the manufacturing mindset of the last hundred years of the 20th century into a very new era in the 21st century. And work is going to be transformed. Thank you, Kevin, and that's why we're here today. Welcome again to Game Changers Radio. Let me bring on our second panelist. She's no newcomer to our radio series, been on several series. Always glad to welcome Greta Roberts. She's the CEO and co-founder of Talent Analytics Corp., located in Boston. If you've been following the news, you know they're getting feet and feet and feet and yards of snow. But Greta bailed out enough to join us today. And here's her original quote. The future of analytics will forever change the way that workers relate to work. Welcome, Greta Roberts. Are you warm, safe, and dry and staying out of snow drifts, I hope? All of the above, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about your quote. I know you knew you were going to give us something about analytics. Tell me, what does this all mean? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the future of work um, and the future of analytics, like another, I was thinking of another way is to describe that is we really can't talk about the future of work without talking about the future of analytics. Um, because you know, the future of analytics will have many impacts on business. Um, and it already is, you know, with customers and customer analytics or even predictive analytics with machines, you know, saying when are they going to expire or when are they going to need uh, service on them. Some of these are, you know, changes are going to be breathtaking. Some are going to be surprising and challenging, but we need to be ready for them, just like Kevin said, in our workforce. Um, and the future of work really is intersecting with the future of analytics. Um, things will never be the same. They aren't the same uh, for the, either the employer or the employee. Um, and I think that was something that I also wanted to bring up is it's not only, to my perspective anyway, um, how is it going to be an changing for the employee and the employee demands. I think it's just as interesting to look at the employer demands and what they're looking at as well and kind of how do, you, how do those combine. Thank you, Greta. Good insights. I, I like that we've got both sides of the equation here, the, the changes on both sides. Greta, question for you. I mentioned in one of the, the topic questions in my opening today, where do robots, software, and analytics fit into the big picture? Can we go so far as to say that robots and analytics have to be in the same sentence because we can't talk to them, so we've got to have something analyzing what they're doing and if they're doing what we need them to do? What do you think? Well, they belong in the same sentence for sure because behind them there's an expert that is controlling them. Um, and that's the one thing. I think there's a lot of fear out there that people are saying robots are taking over the world, but they're behind a robot at least today or behind analytics today. 
there is somebody that's analyzing the data, that's telling the robot what to do, that's, you know, creating the predictive models and that sort of thing. And so I think there needs to be a lot less fear around robots taking over or analytics, you know, forcing us to make decisions that we don't want to do. So to that perspective, um, and, you know, with regards to it all just being sort of innovative technology, yeah, I would put them all together. Greta, I think you just put a lot of our listeners' minds at ease by saying there's nothing to be afraid of. That was that was good. Right. That's what people want to know. Am I going to be replaced? How could they? I'm sitting here doing this. I'm a human being. Nope, there's a robot in the next office walking through the door. Okay, we will talk about that later. Thank you, Greta. Rounding out our panel today is Carrie Brown, Head of Strategy and Alliances Americas at SAP. And Carrie also is a re- frequent guest here on Game Changers Radio. And Carrie sent me a quote from Alan Turing. Those of you who love to go to the movies or read about the movies, this is a quote from The Imitation Game. Very interesting man, Alan Turing. Here's the quote. Sometimes it is the people no one imagines anything of who do the things that no one ever imagined. Wow. Carrie Brown, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Great quote. Talk to me. How do you interpret it? I, uh, I saw the movie last week. Like many, I've been prepping for the Oscars and working through my movie, movie list. And I interpret it in that as millennials come into the workplace, there's a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity as to what it will really be like and what difference will they make. And I think we don't know really all of the answers to that as we look at the shift in the workforce. So what we can't see, you know, back to the, the discussion earlier of being a futurist, what is coming ahead of us? I think it's fascinating to think of what might be ahead of us. It's also interesting when you look at Alan Turing. He really was the first to invent the computer. And in fact, for years, they were called Turing machines. And the the movie couldn't have been more timely as we were prepping for this radio show. And I thought about mm-hmm. how he did things and his group did things that we never could have imagined. And I think we'll see in the workforce the same shift. Thank you, Carrie. A question for you. I asked Kevin Wheeler a few minutes ago if there was any particular generational cohort in the workforce among the many working side by side today that would be outstanding in what we're talking about, the future of work, future of business. When we talk about in the Alan Turing quote, it's the people no one imagines anything of. Will we see surprises? And maybe this will be part of your predictions. I don't know. Will we see surprises coming from the youngest elements in the workforce? Are those the ones we would never imagine that they know enough, they can articulate it well enough to really turn work on its ear? Carrie? I think so. And, and it's interesting, going back to Greta's comments around obsolescence or replacement, the Oxford Economics Workforce 2020 study looked at the fact that 50% of employees think that they'll have the right skills in three years. Well, if you look at the employee base, those are not the millennials. So there's going to be some changes both in the existing workforce, and I think we'll be surprised by what the capacity is of the baby boomers who continue to embrace technology. I think we don't know what we don't know about millennials. We're going to have that workforce that's coming in where it's, it's interesting looking at that group too. The myth is that they're really a lot more different than all of the current workforce. And in fact, when you look at the, the studies coming out now, they want the same things we want. They're looking for the same needs, the same development, and the same learning requirements. So when you look at this this gap in terms of employees thinking they have the right skills and the concern of robots and analytics, it really creates a learning mandate for how do we equip all of the workforce from all ages of the spectrum to be able to look at how to embrace and, and support and use analytics to be successful. 
Thank you, Kerry. Good rounding out to our intro. We've certainly already covered a lot of territory and a lot of food for thought for our audience to chew on. Now I have a very important question of the day. Kevin, you're up first. I have the question is, what's in your cup today? Because this new series is part of our umbrella series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Kevin Wheeler, where are you calling from today? And what are you drinking if it's interesting? And if not, what would you prefer to be drinking? Go ahead, Kevin. (laughs) I'm calling from just right near San Francisco. And I'm sitting in my home office, and it's promising to be a lovely 70-degree day here. (laughs) And I'm really looking forward to the sunshine after having spent a few days last week in New York City where it was rather chilly. I am (laughs) drinking a cup of coffee at the moment but I would much rather be having a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> but it's, uh, even for me, it's a bit early for that. Um, so it's, uh, wine is my, my favorite uh, drink, and I think it's probably one of the finest uh, things that you can drink in the whole world. How lovely. What's your favorite wine? We have to drill a little bit deeper on this one, Kevin Wheeler, as we get to know you. What wine would you like to be drinking after the show or much later today? Well, there are, there are many wonderful wines, but I would settle for any really good Australian Shiraz, which I really love, or any any really good uh, Malbec from Argentina. They're both my favorite varieties of wine, but I'm not impartial to Cabernet Sauvignon either. We just got to know Kevin Wheeler a whole lot better. Thank you very much. (laughs) Appreciate that. I don't know what kind of coffee you're drinking, but let's just leave it at the Shiraz and the Cabernet and the other one, and the Malbec. I happen to be a fan of Malbec as well. Greta Roberts, you're digging out in snow-filled under the the drift, Boston. Uh, How's the weather there today, Greta, and what are you drinking to keep warm and comfortable? Yes, so our offices are in Cambridge, right across the street from, well, across the river from Boston. And just so you know, there's been 61 inches of snow in the last 30 days, just so you know. Um, I am drinking coffee, but under the category of what would I prefer to be drinking, I would absolutely prefer to be drinking, um, it's called drinkable chocolate that comes from a company right down the street called Burdick Chocolates. They don't call it hot cocoa because they're a chocolate place. They call it drinkable chocolate, and they have a dark blend, uh, a a burdick blend dark chocolate um, that is the most amazing thing, but you can really only drink it every three years or so. It's that amazing. So I'm almost (laughs) feeling because of the snow and the digging that it might be on my forecast here shortly. So that's what I would prefer to be drinking. Wow. Greta, my daughter used to live in Asheville, North Carolina, and one of the treats of visiting her was to go to the French Broad. That's a river, by the way, Kevin. Don't Mm. laugh. The French Broad Chocolate Factory, where the line was out the door on Saturday nights, and sometimes musicians, local musicians, would be playing in the entry, and you would wait on a long line to get to the counter where there were thousands of choices of of fresh cakes and cookies and chocolates, but they had a drink that was a melted chocolate truffle in a little tiny cup, Greta, and it was more than one person could handle, and I'm a chocolate and it was unbelievable. So that was their version of drinkable chocolate. You can look it up, the French Broad Chocolate Factory. Thanks for the memories. Carrie Brown, I don't know if I can ask you to top either of these, but very interesting drinks. What do you think? Well, um, I'm not sure what it says about me, but I have had Burdick's drinkable chocolate, and I've been to the French Broad Chocolate Place. So clearly, <laughs> I, I need to hang out with you two ladies. 
Um, I am having tea with honey in it because I'm getting over one of the many colds that have been traveling around the countryside. And there's lots of honey in it right now. I would prefer to have it as a hot toddy versus just hot honey and tea. But I, I will suffer for the balance of the day and, and enjoy that. And by the way, French broad chocolate also serves great wine, so we can get everybody into the mix. All right. Oh, we have to have a party. Thank you very much, Carrie. Guess what? The three of you have earned a break. We're going to take our first break. I'm talking today with Kevin Wheeler, futurist and consultant in talent management and a, uh, a connoisseur of good wine. Greta Roberts bailing out in Cambridge across the river from Boston at Talent Analytics Corp. And Carrie Brown, head of Strategy and Alliances Americas. And Carrie, where are you calling from today, by the way? I'm calling from our nation's capital. I'm about 50 feet from the White House. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, we'll have to have a big party there. Anyway, thank you, Carrie. We're going to take our break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, we'll dive in headfirst into our roundtable. The topic, if you haven't guessed yet, is the future of work 2015 and beyond. No matter who you are, where you are listening now, live or on demand, this affects you. Yes, it does. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. Thanks for coming back and joining us. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is the debut episode of Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Another shout-out to Becky Weber and Lindsay Nelson at SAP for putting this one all together. My panelists are Kevin Wheeler, Greta Roberts, and Carrie Brown, and we're talking about the future of work 2015 and beyond, and if you think carefully about what this title says, it means the future is now. We are in 2015, and there's a future to the future, so let's get started on our roundtable. We're going to talk about 30 minutes nonstop, and I'm going to invite Kevin Wheeler, our first panelist, up to join me. And let's start with this topic, Kevin. I'm looking at your notes. Uh, Here's a word that came up in the opening. I think it's a fascinating where to start. You say in your notes, software and robots will rapidly replace many employees, forcing people to focus on why rather than on what or how. Why don't you explain that, Kevin? Sure. Uh, I think that uh, what we're seeing It's really a revolution in the workplace, and I think we're seeing that all the jobs that are that can be done by following a set of rules or a prescription are rapidly going to become automated. 
either through the use of just automated software tools or through the use of robots. So most that's a large percentage of the manual labor jobs that exist out there. Uh, many of the jobs in the mid-range of employment, the mm-hmm. skilled manufacturing jobs, the machinists, these kind of jobs are going to be and already have to a large degree been replaced by automated software that can do these things with greater speed and precision than most people can. Auto manufacturing uh, is a great example of that. Uh, computer manufacturing, which I used to be in, which had literally uh, thousands of employees, now has hundreds, and they're much more highly skilled than they were before. And I think what we're learning is that computers are very good at doing things that follow rules and prescriptions. Computers are very good at doing things that are, you know, what do you do? How do you do it? They can, they can be taught those things. The one thing computers can't do is they can't ask questions. Mm-hmm. And computers cannot ask any questions. They don't ask why. And I think the role of human beings is really more in that realm of why are we doing these things? Why are we going in this direction? Um, you know, maybe more the ethical things about what are the right ways to go? What are the right things to do? I think we're going to see the roles that people take on and the jobs that emerge for people are going to be those jobs that really are more focused on, I guess, what we call the soft skill side of, of our personalities, the collaboration, the psychology, the, the arts, the music, the things that really are, at this point, at least in the evolution of computers, beyond them. Uh, I think that um, uh, I think we're perhaps more afraid of robotics and computers than we should be, but in a sense they are going to be very, very disruptive because people that now have good middle-wage jobs are going to be displaced from those jobs and have been and will continue to be. And we're going to have to evolve new jobs uh, in, as we move into the future. Oxford University recently did a, a really interesting study on the jobs that are highly likely to be automated by the year 2025. And those include things that we would be shocked to hear, accountants, bookkeepers, auditors, um, you know, any commercial airplane pilots. These are all jobs that are projected to be uh, eliminated by the year 2025. So that's scary. It's really frightening to people to hear those things. And you say, what are we going to do? But I think we're going to find a whole array of things that we haven't thought about doing yet, opening up and new jobs being created. So I'm not sure uh, how long that process is going to take. I'm sure we have many economic and social hurdles to overcome to get there. But it's pretty clear to me that we are moving pretty quickly in that direction. Thank you, Kevin. Very provocative. Greta Roberts, agree, disagree. Talk to us. I completely agree with Kevin. Um, The one thing that I would, and I love how you ended it, which is I think a lot of people end that without doing his last sentence, which is to say, you know, a lot of things are going to be automated. Oh, my goodness, we need to be freaked out. Um, I think the last sentence is so important in terms of right-sizing concern, which is to say, and new jobs will open up. Um, And so I'm a huge optimist when it comes to, you know, to me it feels like progress um, in the same way, you know, that the, you know, automobile manufacturers, et cetera, and all of us always are looking for ways to automate things. I think machines will continue to get smarter and smarter because we're the ones programming them to do that. 
and things that today feel like there's no way there's rules behind those and that they're just sort of, you know, random. They're really not. Um, and so I believe there will be new jobs that um, will be replacing, um, you, you know, some of the older ones or new jobs that are are being created that we have no idea will exist. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree with Kevin. Thank you. Carrie Brown, what do you think? Like Greta, I'm an optimist. Um, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit concerned about the concept of my commercial airlines being flown by a robot. But, you know, mm-hmm. aside from sci-fi and reality, I, I spend a lot of time on, time on planes. I think what's really interesting is when we look at the workforce now, the consumerization of IT, I think, has gotten all of us and certainly is bringing the new generations of digital natives even more into the workforce to where we we expect a lot more of technology and we're much more familiar with it than we think we, it, it's, it's, it's become pervasive in a way that I don't think we've even noticed it coming there. So the concept now that you can turn on and off all the things in your home using your phone while you're out of town and unlock and lock your doors and change the heat, those are robots. Now there's things that we now see as convenience that are just simplicity. And so, you know, you apply that to the workforce where you can use predictive analytics on machinery and so forth. We're looking at that in a way for convenience that could be threatening, can be scary, but is also unbelievably appealing and much more familiar uh, than, than we expect it to be. I think what's interesting is how will we take advantage of that unbelievable breadth of capability around technology so that we continue to look at the different patterns of, of working. So when you look at microlearning and crowdsourcing, which is the technical terms for what you do on Facebook and on Wikipedia and on YouTube where everybody shares and everybody contributes and we all learn in bits and pieces and bytes, that's changing the way that all of us can continue to evolve into those new jobs. So I think one of the things that's really different is the way we all used to learn and study and grow and do pretty predictable jobs, we're much more of an evolving and transitioning culture in terms of the frequency of, of how often we change jobs the kinds of roles that we do. When we look at how to equip our workforce, we need to be mindful of that so that they can continue to evolve and shift and we can have the right talent in our businesses to succeed. Thank you, Carrie. I I want to go to another piece of the notes from Kevin Wheeler before we move to the analytics topic with Greta Roberts. Kevin, something here in your notes is fascinating to me. You introduced a word I am not familiar with and I've looked it up. I don't know what Greta and Carrie know about this or will say, but let's just dive into this. You say hierarchy in organizations will flatten holacracy, that's H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y, and shared forms of organization and leadership will arise. This is probably a good part in our conversation, a good point to introduce this topic, and then then we'll move to analytics. So what is this all about? Hierarchy, holacracy, what does it all mean, Kevin? Well, I think, you know, we've, again, the 20th century um, organizations were organized in hierarchies because they were reproducing for lack of a better term, widgets. They were making things, and they followed patterns and rules, and you had to have people that made sure those patterns and rules were followed. And it was a simplest way to do that was to create hierarchy where information could be passed down, controlled. Uh, You could have a small cell with a supervisor and work your way up through the organization, and you could make sure that the widgets were being produced with accuracy and speed and so forth. I think those forms of organization are they, those we know from research in organizational design and behavior that hierarchy inhibits creativity and innovation. And companies that are uh, going to survive in the 21st century are 
clearly those companies that can innovate, that can create, that can uh, break the mold, that can do things in different and better ways that meet consumer needs and other needs. And that's just about impossible to do in the rigid hierarchies that were really characteristic of the 20th century. So what we're seeing is that large hierarchies are are shrinking. They are flattening themselves out, reducing layers of management. Uh, if we look at IBM, re- laying off right now or, or reducing by over 100,000 employees, mm. and they have been steadily shrinking for a decade. Uh, you know, this is all in response to this. You know, you cannot dance very well when you're an elephant. Uh, and so small companies are much more nimble, much more flexible, and they tend to cre- collaborate and share information better. So holacracy, which was uh, uh, coined by a co- one, of, one of Twitter's co-founders, started the holacracy movement, and there's a whole website on holacracy. In fact, there's a whole methodology of how to create a holacracy. Uh, the only company that I know of right now, um, other than his, is, that is uh, using this is Zappos, and Tony Sue at Zappos, uh, eight months or so ago, um, completely removed the hierarchy and put in place a holacracy there. So it'll be very interesting to see how it works out. It's experimental, and it's more or less a democratic form of leadership and work where there are no bosses, managers, supervisors, but things are done more in projects, uh, and people move more fluidly through them. And the attempt is to get rid of functional silos, to get rid of I'm an accountant and you're a, a communications expert, and to say we, we all have a variety of expertise that can be used in different ways, and we all instinctively know when our expertise is right or not to help solve an issue. So it really is the idea of how do we open up an organization to more communication, more collaboration, less silo mentality, and hopefully more creativity uh, and ability to, uh, you know, meet the the future in a more robust way. Uh, And so I think you're going to see many experiments uh, along the lines of more democratically organized, for lack of a better term, organizations, uh, less hierarchy, uh, a lot more uh, flattening out of... of, um, uh, of, of status and titles, so there are much few, many fewer of those, and a real focus on what's your role as opposed to what's your title. Thank you, Kevin. Good thoughts. It, what you just said a moment ago reminds me of one of the structural basics of learning improv. I was former life stand-up comedy and, and improv actor slash comedian, and one of the group exercises, Kevin, was where you'd all be in a room, oh, maybe 15 or 20 people, and uh, somebody would would say something. The, the instructor would say, for example, what did you hear on the streets of New York today? Because we were in Manhattan. And somebody would say, hey, lady, how much is that apple? Hey, lady. And they would repeat this over like a mantra. Hey, lady, how much is that apple? Walk around in a circle just looking at each other, making eye contact. And somebody had to figure out if what they needed to say next was what the room needed. So was there skill set? Was there approach? Was there perspective? Was there sense of humor? What was needed in that conversation? But nobody was assigned, hey, Kevin, you're next. Hey, Greta, hey, Carrie, you're next. You just had to figure out when the room the discussion needed your conversation. I don't know if that's uh, if that's too far afield, but it reminded me a little bit about what you just said. Greta Roberts, chime in here. What are your thoughts about hierarchy and holacracy? Or Carrie, whoever wants to jump in. Ladies? I'm, I'm going to jump in because actually yeah, it's interesting. Uh, somebody who works for me is a 
is a military historian, and we've had lengthy discussions on whether or not change is evolutionary or revolutionary. And it's very much along Kevin's discussion when you look um, militarily at the traditional structure of military businesses follow the same structure. And if you look at all of the industries, whether it's the recording industry, you look at the militaries that we're fighting in other parts of the world, the way that those structures are changing is exactly as he's described. What we're seeing in the business workplace is kind of a hybrid where the flattening of the structure is happening in pieces and parts of organizations. They haven't yet figured out how to, in most cases, Zappos I know of is one of the rare examples where the whole company is flattened. But what we're seeing is within projects, within companies, within areas, you're seeing that agile, nimble behavior and that flexibility and fluidity. And I think that that connects to how we learn. Um, it's interesting when we're looking at all of the, the skills that are needed and, and the why and the how to support robots and analytics, I think it's interesting that you look at the need and the focus now on STEM students, the science, technology, engineering, and math students. So how will we continue to have the right skills, to have the nimbleness? It's, it really is, it's back to, I think, my original quote of, you know, the things we couldn't imagine are what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen next, but how do we put the right ingredients and seeds in place to grow the right outcomes? So that, that's my thoughts. I think it's, it's interesting to see that uh, how, how, you know, life imitates art and art imitates life and, and how we're seeing those connections. Well put. Thank you. Greta, anything you want to add on this before I move to an analytics topic with you? Yeah, I think it's interesting how it ties back to the prior topic about, um, you know, are the jobs going away and will, um, um, oh, what's the word, will uh, robots replace us? Um, because we're talking about a business culture now that is flatter, is more flexible, is more fluid, more creative, um, less functional, less silo, you know, you're asking on the fly for people to sense things. Is it time for me to step in? And yes. so, again, I completely agree with Carrie and uh, Kevin. Um, and I think what we're seeing is that that new, that new um, environment or future work, if we will, is really now accommodating and valuing that creative aspect um, that we're saying is, you know, that's where sort of some of these new roles are going to be created that we really need out of the talent and out of the humans that are going to continue to be there in addition to just automating some of the more um, uh, process-oriented roles that are out there. So I thought that was really interesting how it ties back to that prior conversation. Thank you, Greta. Let's move into a discussion of analytics. Greta, I'm looking at your notes, and I think I'll start here with your first one. You say the inevitable rise of prescriptive analytics will manifest itself differently in different company cultures, enhancing the culture that's already there. So talk to us about these analytical innovations. Are they going to help companies? Are they going to challenge them, set them back, move them forward? What's your observation? Yeah, well, first of all, um, prescriptive analytics, you know, really is the phase beyond predictive. Predictive is saying, you know, this is what I predict. Uh, prescriptive says, and this is what the model um, suggests that you do about it, kind of down to the individual. Um, and so prescriptive really helps to um, helps to companies to say, from a business culture perspective, you can literally look at the business culture and uh, the culture can say, wow, kind of in an analytics way, this is who we are. We want more of this because, you know, we can see that this is very helpful in terms of performance um, and really kind of crystallizing what they have, but in a, in a uh, data-based way, if you will, 
The other thing that we see a lot is that people sometimes say, you know, gosh, we have this culture, it's really important to us, but when you get down to really examining the culture in a uh, predictive way, um, you know, they can actually use the data as well to move to a different kinds of business culture because, as an example, at a major, major manufacturing organization, you know, no attrition problem there or great attrition problem because they have about, you know, 2% turnover. You know, and so is that really a business culture where they want people to stay there forever regardless of whether they're performing or not? But to really begin to see some of these business culture aspects coming through, um, you know, with an analytics lens really gives the insight to the executives or the teams to say, are we where we want to be so we just want to crystallize what we have? Or do we want to systematically begin moving into, you know, a slightly different um, business culture to help us get where we need? So that was, I thought, kind of a really interesting bridge between kind of culture that we normally think about as being a softer thing and the way that analytics can help to crystallize that. Thank you, Greta. Carrie Brown, thoughts? My thoughts are really, it's how do we, how do we give businesses the right information to manage? And so whether that's managing their machines or managing the asset of their people, I think as we end up with a different mix of skill sets in the workplace, the litmus test for me is can people thrive in their jobs? And do we know how their jobs are changing so that we can equip them appropriately? So the use of analytics to measure and monitor user performance and user adoption and understanding if employees are executing well at their work, I think is going to become that much more critical because instead of now where we've got people who have 5, 10, 15, 20 years experience in their jobs. We're going to have people have 5, 10, 15, 20 months experience in their jobs. Mm. And so the use of analytics will tell us, do we have a problem or don't we? Should we be afraid or not? Okay, certainly where we have robots and analytics and other replacements, as, as Kevin's talked about, we can see what those machines are doing. But the visibility into what people are doing, I think, is going to become that much more important. I also think the way that we work, back to the... Um, the style of behavior of the digital natives and so forth and the fluidity of communication, the fluidity of learning, I think allows us to look at how do we equip people to learn in a quick manner that supports the way that they behave now. So when you look at the use of collaboration in learning rooms, if you look at the use of, of small micro-learning chunks, we've, I think we need to use the next few years to really fill that void of back to the same study, I think Kevin and I looked at a similar one from Oxford Economics that looks at the fact that people don't think they've got the right skill sets and are afraid of being obsolete. Well, how will we equip them? How do we give them the immediacy of content that will allow them and our businesses to, to thrive and reduce the turnover? It's interesting to, to Greta's question. One of the questions I ask many customers right now is, do you know what your demographics are and do you know when your people are going to be leaving? Because you've only got 2% turnover in the next five, seven years, wow, you're going to see a change. And it's really going to be quite dramatic. If you've had, you know, you look at the Zappos, they're pretty fluid and they're pretty flexible. You look at different businesses and industries and they have a much different uh, landscape. It'll be interesting to see the next five years. Thank you, Kerry. Kevin Wheeler, we got to hear your voice. What do you think? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's this is a huge area. Obviously, um, I think both the uh, predictive and the prescriptive analytics are uh, going to be major have a major impact on a lot of things. One of the areas that I've been focusing on is recruiting, and I can tell you right now that uh, from you know Monster, uh, Indeed, and Dice, uh, big job boards are all using predictive analytics right now, 
to actually put a probability that a person will be uh, successful in a job, and this is based on, on data. So you can actually get data from organizations about employees that have been successful that contribute the most, and you can use those that data to actually analyze uh, incoming employees or candidates that have applied for jobs to see how well they match this. And this can be done um, virtually uh, automatically and, and unknown to the candidate. Uh, there's ethical issues and privacy issues, but the bottom line is it's, it's, being, it's doable and being done. So I can look at your Facebook profile, your LinkedIn profile. I can look at your tweets, and I can analyze all of that and predict how well you'll do in the job without ever even interviewing you or seeing you. And so the power of this uh, predictive analytics is, is pretty big, and it can give pretty high probabilities of success. Um, Google recently revamped its entire uh, recruitment process using analytics. Uh, they dropped the requirement of GPA. They dropped the requirement of going to certain universities, and they dropped the experience requirement uh, because they found those didn't correlate in any way with performance. And they've developed a whole new a whole new model of what makes a good employee at Google. So I think the potential here is is huge. I think there are big ethical and privacy issues that we're going to have to face and deal with in using them. Thank you, Kevin. Carrie Brown, I'm looking at your notes. There's something here I'd like to cover. I don't know if we've focused on it specifically enough during this show so far. HR's role. Let me read your notes here. HR's role is evolving in its strategic nature, like the CIO, the CMO, and always the CFO. And you bring out that value is what is being measured and its impact on the business. And, Carrie, let me tie this back to another thing. You said as we merge both work and non-work behaviors and patterns, how will we know if the work is actually being done? How will we measure performance? How will we modify our culture and reward recognition styles in the workplace? A lot to chew on. Carrie, you want to give us an overview of this? Sure. Uh, it's, it's an interesting change in sort of, of, I think everyone, you know, every business is looking for how to find uh, greater profitability and greater success. And so every role within organizations is having that same kind of scrutiny. You know, the CFO always has been associated with driving great results and, and dollars. And then the CIO went from being sort of the, the guy who kept the phones working to now IT is definitely seen as a strategic partner to drive business success. The CMO certainly is looking at how do you drive customer satisfaction, customer loyalty, and HR is really shifting from being a benefits and admin type of role to being a strategic partner, particularly around talent management. And the focus on talent management has grown dramatically in the last number of years. And when you look at, it's interesting, Success Factors, for example, did a study where they did their own NASDAQ, if you will, looking at which customers that they had and how did their businesses perform. If they focused on talent management, did their business actually improve in terms of its results? And they saw that there were marked results in terms of percent profitability and, and value being demonstrated by the business. I think the, the CHRO similarly is being asked to say, what are you doing that is making sure, to Kevin's point, you're getting the right talent that will be successful? What metrics are you using to select people? How are you developing people within your organization? You know, the the learning mandate that I spoke about in terms of it's interesting, millennials have said, aside from comp and benefits, they want training. And so the interesting question to me, to Kevin's point, is, okay, you bring in great talent. How do you make it greater um, or bring it from good to great once it gets in the building? And so that, that role of HR is going from one of maintenance to one of strategy. 
and I think that is um, in any in any role, um, visibility and transparency is both a gift and, and a challenge because if you can demonstrate value, you have a much more relevant seat at the table within your organization to drive change. And I think that's a role that's really shifting um, from where it has been in the past to where it needs to be in the future. Kevin Wheeler, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Uh, I think HR has been trying to be a business partner for, for quite some time. I think they've been struggling with what that means exactly. I think maybe we're beginning to get some definition around it through the quantitative side, some of the predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics and, and use of data that they can begin to actually uh, put some numbers and facts behind uh uh, their statements, and I think this is the big challenge for HR, is to become more quantitative. Um, and uh, not not that the qualitative isn't important, it is, but it has to be backed up in some cases and supported, I think, with data. And if there's a big flaw in HR, it's been the lack of that quantification. And hopefully some of these new tools that are emerging and, and new methodologies will help them to build their credibility and become better business partners. I think Thank also you, we're going to look at how to measure user performance. I'll give an example. We worked with McKesson mm-hmm. at looking um, at their user performance and sustainability. And obviously organizations make significant investments in technology and expect a return on that. And at McKesson, the, the, the story they went through was they said, you know what, we've made this investment. We don't think we're getting the results we want. And they looked at what are the skill sets we have, what is the performance of employees by using a, they used a tool called NOAA. They looked at their... Um, help desk questions, they looked at their support needs, they looked at what training classes they had to see across the board, what was working, what was failing. And they said, we want to get to where we are 85% successful, people do their jobs right the first time, and they were at 78%. And across areas of finance and procurement and so forth, they looked at where were they performing, what was the percent of performance, what kind of support did they need in terms of super users and so forth. And by focusing on that and providing the right support and the right training, they shifted that bar to where they got 85%, and they saved $7 million the first year and $9 million the second year. Mm. And so that kind of analytics on an individual performance level, looking at what are the kinds of learning tools that you can have to measure that, I think are the things which we're going to see appearing beyond we should just do good hygiene and support our people appropriately and have good training. You know, I think it's going to be that kind of specific analytics on performance that we'll see making a difference. And, and giving us the visibility as to how can we best support our people to be successful. Thank you, Carrie. Greta, you're our analytics expert. That's what you do. Talk to us. What do you think about the conversation? Yes, it is what we do. And, um, yeah, I think um, you gave a great example. And I see HR really going the way of not only, you know, the CFO role, but also with marketing, with analytics, where, you know, CFOs, as we've all said, or sort of early finance was all about, you know, back office counting controls, you know, preparing fin- financial and tax statements, tracking expenses and overhead and, you know, pre- really tactical, very functional, rolling it all up, giving a presentation, maybe putting it on a dashboard and saying, hey, ta-da, isn't this great? But at the end of the day, it was very you know, it was very tactical. And I see that happening in HR today, lots of dashboards, lots of pretty things, but like, so what? 
And, you know, does the business really care about all of these essentially reports and analytics that say this is what happened, but it's now on a pretty dashboard? Similarly with marketing, when they started doing sort of analytics and predictive analytics, they could say this is how many customers we met, how many leads we generated, all of that on a pretty dashboard, but so what? And so I see that it kind of definitely moving towards, you know, I think you said, Carrie, the litmus test um, that needs to, the litmus test for finance was, but yes, you know, what's going on with our assets and our liabilities? Litmus test for marketing, yes, but do the customers buy or not? And I think the litmus test is, you know, and you said, Carrie, you know, are they thriving in their job? I would tweak that just a little bit to say, you know, to me, that's the second litmus test. The first one is, are they performing in the job? And yeah. I think if they're performing in the job, and I, I, I think we're in line with that, but just to be subtle, you know, are they performing in the job? And I think HR needs to stop measuring, well, differently measuring or have a different group that measures all of the time to hire and reducing time to hire and you know, what a, what attrition was last year and all of that sort of thing and move towards saying pre-hire, I want to predict, is Greta going to make her sales numbers this year? And that can happen and is being done today. And that's what the business cares about. And it's only at the point that HR starts reporting on what the business cares about that they will n- get a seat at the table and perhaps run the table, just like the CFO organization has now so much power and the marketing organization has so much power because the only thing the table cares about is results, business results. And business results run with the talent that's there. And so to me, it's extraordinarily exciting when you're able to connect the talent and the employees. And oh, by the way, then they're engaged. Um, it's not that you run after engagement as a program and then hope, you know, hope, you know, that they perform. I think we need to flip it the other way. Thank you, Greta. I'm going to open this up to either Kevin or Carrie. Anybody wants to wrap this? We have seven minutes left till the end of the show, and I want to give each of you two full minutes for your predictions. I know you've all been polishing off that crystal ball before the show. Can't wait to hear what you predict on the future of the future of work. There you go. We're going to go to the second power. So either Kevin or Carrie, anything you want to comment on what Greta just added? Kevin, go ahead. Good? Kevin? All right. Uh, I'll go ahead. Um, I... Uh, I obviously have a lot of thoughts about the future of work. I think you're going to see new org structures emerging uh, all the time. I think you're going to see a lot of change in large hierarchical organizations. Uh, I think um, uh, one of the other speakers uh, talked about the large companies. Maybe it's not across the board, but in inside within various functions. I think you're going to see an acceleration of that. I think you're going to see whole new um, – Workplace design about how people work, where they work. I think you know we're going to see a much more uh, extended workforce globally, uh, virtually. Uh, we're seeing redesign of the workspace to you know, facilitate uh, communication and collaboration. I think we're going to see uh, big demographic changes. Uh, the boomers are going to hang on longer and are hanging on longer than I think people thought they would. Uh, at the same time, millennials are, uh, many of them, large, we've done a lot of research on what they're doing, and many of them are opting to do their own thing, start their own business, work for themselves, uh, remain uh, non-corporate employees. Uh, we know the freelance economy is, is booming and will continue to grow. Uh, I think it's more, maybe better called the on-demand workforce. 
And this workforce is right now, the figures are very nebulous, but somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the U.S. workforce. Uh, this is even bigger in other countries um, like India and China. It's probably larger than that. So this changes the whole nature of, of work and that people are not working for companies. They're working for themselves uh, and doing things in a much more independent, collaborative, social way. And I think you're going to see a lot more um, augmentation of people with software and, and robotics. I think you're going to find we're smarter than we've ever been before because of this. Just like machines made us stronger, I think this, the computers and robotics are going to make us smarter. So that's where I think we're headed for the next uh, 10 or 15 years, and it's going to be a very exciting, uh, very exciting ride. Thank you, Kevin. Great predictions. I wanted to ask you about whether we're fast-forwarding to 10 or 15 years. So uh, we're talking about 2025 to 2030, you think? Yes. Yep. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Great predictions. Greta Roberts, thoughts? And Greta, when you give us your predictions, I also would like you to talk about um, the contingent and part-time workforce. I don't think we covered that, but just what's going to happen with the ad hoc predictive analytics. So Greta, predictions, how far in the future are we looking with you? And talk to me. Um, so I guess um, I'll give my prediction first and circle back on, con- on mm-hmm. contingent because I think it does tie into what a lot's been said. Um, my prediction is, you know, we are right, you know, our firm is right at the heart of predictive analytics. Um, and, you know, Kevin, you mentioned that there's, you know, lots of organizations, and you're right, that are, you know, Monster Indeed, et cetera, um, that are saying, hey, I can predict for you, you know, whether this person's going to um, work out in the role and that sort of thing. My predictions is that is that in the three companies, I'm being very specific, will embed built-in pre-hire attrition prediction by 2016. So that's one year. That's one year. Um, but only one is going to be accurate enough to use. Um, and this is kind of from an inside perspective, looking at the predictions, looking at outcomes, because there's not a lot of outcome measurement that's happening now. I mean, it's great to say, uh, you know, I predict, you know, Greta's going to be in this role, but, you know, any of the people that were measured aren't connected to their customers to say, hey, how did it work out? So I'm a little more dubious in terms of how they're doing, and I'm pretty close to uh, – to kind of what's going on there because it's not a feature and it's not a function and it's not something you can just very quickly kind of embed in there. I know they're trying to. Um, and um, But anyway, so lots of folks scrambling to provide this inside of their talent management software or other uh, uh, software offerings. It's hard um, because of the ROI associated with it. Progress is being made in that area. Um, and um, so I guess my, my thing would be to say make sure you partner with the right organization and just because mm-hmm. there's an organization out there saying, hey, we can predict it, you know, make sure you track your results. With regards to the contingent workers, um, and I think this gets to kind of that on-demand workforce that um, Kevin was 30. talking about. Go ahead. 30 seconds, Greta. 30 seconds, because I need time okay. for Carrie's predictions. Go ahead. Yep. No worries. Um, we definitely see that, you know, teams are being formed and dissolved around projects more. Deloitte, several years ago, Kathy Benko described what she called the corporate lattice versus the corporate ladder. And so how analytics ties to this is that your predictive models need to be able to work inside of that so that they can predict, here's the project team, dissolve the model, um, predict another team, dissolve the model. And so your models need to keep up with what's going on in the workforce. Thank you. Great. Carrie Brown, I saved a minute and a half, almost two minutes for you. Predictions, go. 
recently, Jim Morgan, our president of North America, said that the individual will have the same power as the largest corporation in the future. And, and I think that's true. And why I think that's true is that we're going to have so much more application of big data across all disciplines. So when we look at where we've used it traditionally in manufacturing, but the explosion of information availability around people, around how we work, when we work, what's working. And I think what's key, back to Greta's point, is it needs to be business outcomes oriented. So it's not only potential, but realized potential. And that is going to come from the transparency, the access for everybody to real-time analytics. And I think also the, the mobility, you know, we all now can do work from so many places in so many different ways. So my predictions are that we're going to see a huge resurgence um, of of uh, no, not resurgence, but a continued growth to Kevin's point of the, the boomers staying in the workforce. You know, it's interesting. Facebook's largest growing population are grandparents. You know, so you look mm. at the, the capabilities of the generation that we think of being non-technological is really quite capable. And I think we're also going to see, you know, back to my original quote, I think we're going to see ways of working that we never thought of because there's ways of learning and functioning from the newer generation coming in that are new and different. And so I believe that fluidity of work and that fluidity of learning and that fluidity of, of sharing of information, along with all of the analytics and along with all the specifics, are going to give us the power to be successful both as individuals and as corporations. Thank you, Kerry. Perfect wrap-up. I need about 30 seconds to close. I have a big shout-out to our three extraordinary panelists, Kevin Wheeler, our futurist, Greta Roberts from Talent Analytics, and Kerry Brown from SAP. Shout-out again to the series sponsors this new series, Becky Weber and Lindsay Nelson, working with her at SAP, and Brad and the Business Channel team. I could do my own predictions tomorrow. Coffee break with Game Changers, you know, 11 o'clock Eastern time. I'll be here with another live show. Tomorrow afternoon, we'll bring you a new episode of the Internet of Things with Game changers and thursday we'll be back with innovating innovation and next tuesday in this exact spot we'll bring you another episode of digital world with game changers my my we are busy uh one quick shout out carrie brown you sent me an alternate quote he not busy being born is busy dying from bob dylan have to tell you bob dylan is rapidly replacing albert einstein as the most frequently quoted person on sap game changers radio who knew okay everyone here's your call to action Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for the debut of our brand new series, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio. See you tomorrow morning on Coffee Break. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.